Good day, mate. It's uh, Vela News Podcast. Ah, that is a terrible Australian accent. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Vela News Podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you on a Sunday, Tuesday in Boulder, Colorado. We have lots to get to on this week's show. It's going to be a very Australian, very tour down under centric uh, episode of the Vel News Podcast. We are going to talk with Andrew Hood all about the tour down under, which wrapped up a couple days ago. Richie Port won the overall second time in his career. And uh, afterwards, uh, Andrew had some great stories on the site about what this means for the Tour Down Under's format, about uh, you know these teams starting their seasons, what this race tells us about that. So we're going to catch up with Andrew Hood. Later in the show, we are going to talk with two North Americans who started their seasons at the Tour Down Under, uh, American Larry Warbass and Canadian James Pickley the darling of the 2019 North American domestic scene who punched his ticket to go race with Israel Cycling Academy this year. We're going to hear from both those guys from the Tour Down Under. Uh, But first, let's get to it. Andrew Hood, you are on the line. You just finished up six days of race coverage at the Tour Down Under. I'm assuming that you, uh, you survived the race. How are you faring? Uh, survived it indeed. We are road tripping between here and Melbourne for the uh, Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race that starts uh, next week's weekend and uh, two or three days of racing around uh, Geelong and the Melbourne area. So we're just road tripping between uh, along the southern coast here of Australia. It's a pretty spectacular area. This uh, We're at this national park yesterday called the Coorong. And it's just, I mean, it's one of, probably one of the most desolate places uh, on uh, on a beach, really anywhere I've ever seen. It's just, it was literally just uh, about 65, 75 miles of just a wide open beach, not not one sign of any human anywhere along that area. So if you don't like people, come to Australia. A lot of, a lot of open spaces for you. Now, Andy, the last time we caught up, I had asked you whether you had uh, seen any of the exotic flora and fauna, any kangaroos. Um, now you tell me you're driving past these like deserted beaches. I mean, are you going swimming out there? Aren't you worried about sharks? I need a, uh, a shark update from you out there. Yeah, you know, being a Colorado boy, I, I kind of, uh, you know, the water is not my, uh, the ocean's not my natural element anyway. So when you look look out there into the cold, frothy waters coming off the southern seas, it just looks so sharky out there. I just, I dip my toe in, waters are cold, and, uh, you know, I think the, the local advice is, you know, if you see other people swimming, that's when it's safe. You know, you don't want to be out there by yourself being like a little bobber out there, you know, waiting for a, a friendly shark to swim by. Okay, Andy. Well, so set the scene for us. You're at the Tour Down Under. A couple days ago, Richie Port secured the overall. Uh, this makes it a couple for him winning that race. Um, pretty exciting stuff on the final stage up to Old Luwalunga. Richie did not win the stage, but he did enough to distance Daryl Impey, beat Mitchelton Scott, and uh, take the overall yet again. Well, it's actually only a second time winning the overall because he had won six six years in a row at the Wollonga Hill Climb. But due to time bonuses and, and dynamics of the race, he only won one previous occasion. And that previous occasion was when they had this Paracomb Summit finale in 2017. And that's the stage that they brought it back this year. He won there, got the lead, lost it, to Daryl Impey on time bonuses and then won it back on the final where we had uh, this uh, Neo Pro, Matt Holmes, actually won out of a breakaway at Port finished second. Didn't win in Winlunga, but he won 
the overall for the second time. So Richie was very happy. You know, he puts a lot of emphasis on this race. Some question that maybe it's too much because you see a lot, a lot of the other top pros, you know, like Bardet and Simon Yates. They're not really quite up to uh, race speed yet, being January. But Richie, this is his home race. He takes a lot of pride in performing well here. He's convinced that it doesn't do him any harm by being so strong off the bat here in January because, you know, Richie typically, you know, put the tour as his peak and we'll kind of taper off after that. I know this year he's also thinking about the Olympics. But, uh, yeah, another big show, another big fight here. Big crowds. You know, there's always that issue of the bushfires coming into this year's Tour Down Under, but it did not affect the race whatsoever here locally. And once again, I mean, it's just a huge bike party. A lot, tens of thousands of fans literally every day. The, you know, you, you see big crowds at the, at the start and at the finish. People can move around on their bikes quite easily. And it's really one of the best organized events in the entire world to a calendar, without a doubt. Yeah, no. Look, it looks like a great race, hoodie. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna come in off the top rope with a uh, a hot take here. Uh, Tour down under. Look, it's a great way to start the World Tour season. It's in Australia. The weather's great. Um, I think this race needs to change up its format as a spectator, purely as a spectator, not someone who's at the race, but someone who is consuming it on TV and through the internet. Um, I'm just. I'm just kind of not that into the format anymore because it just seems like it always comes down to this like three minute effort up old Willunga and he who has the strongest legs on that climb is going to win the overall. I know there's, you know, bonus seconds here and there and it makes it exciting on the flat stages, but just as a fan who's consuming the race as a, you know, as a piece of TV content, um, I'm just a little bored with it. I think they need to do something to change up the format. That is my hot take. Andrew Hood, tell me that I am wrong. Well, yeah, that, that's certainly a discussion point around the race right now. People are, are kind of throwing around some different ideas because uh, there is that sense of maybe, yeah, it kind of comes down to this battle every year between Richie Port and Mitchelton Scott, you know, whoever they throw in. Because it's, it is the big throwdown. I mean, Mitchelton Scott has won this race, I think, five of the last eight years now. Um, so it is it is a big battle between the Australians, and I don't think that's ever really going to change kind of where it is in January. So the question is, you know, if you change the race, will it change the outcome? Um, I don't think so. I think if, if you did change the race, if you made it harder, you put a time trial in it, it would still probably come down to Richie Port versus Mitch and Scott uh, in that scenario. Um, and there's a couple other factors that, that – uh, the race always takes into kind of account when it, des- it designs this course. You know, it is early season. They don't want to go too hard or too long. The heat is a big issue down here in Australia this year. It was pretty mild, actually, good racing conditions. But, you know, we've seen those years where it's 40 degrees Celsius, which is over 100 degrees. And no one wants to be out on the bike more than three hours in those conditions. Um, so, you know, adding like a 200-kilometer kind of Liege-style course in 40-degree heat, no one wants to do that. Uh, and then it's limited by geography, to tell the truth. I mean, why do they go up Old Wollonga Hill? Because it's kind of the steepest, most sustained climb in the area. There are a little bit longer climbs, <clears throat> excuse me, but they're kind of stair-step. They're not really that sustained steepness that the World Tour Pro is going to make them put them in the red at all. So, um, you know, it, you're never going to find a 7, 10, 15-minute climb in Adelaide because it simply doesn't exist. And then the other question is, you know, do you have a time trial? And if you have a time trial... That means all the teams have to bring down their time trial bikes 
down to down to Australia. That's a big logistical challenge because already just bringing everything down here, all the equipment down here, costs a lot of money. So that's another factor of why they don't want to have a, a time trial. Having said that, there is a lot of uh, ideas bouncing around of maybe having like a prologue. You can put some arrow bars on a road bike. Or even a, a perhaps a team time trial you could race on road bikes. So there is certainly just some some discussion going around. Then of course the other part of that argument is if you do change the course, you put a big time trial in it, or you put a team time trial in it, or perhaps find a way to have a harder climb. That will that will just take that will just suck the life out of the race because right now it really is this battle for seconds the entire week. Which when you're on the ground watching the race. Is pretty exciting to see because I've always been a big proponent of time bonuses. I like time bonus racing because it just inherently makes a race more exciting. So you have a time trial. You know what's going to happen? Rowan Dennis will get 20, 30 seconds on the field, and then the race will be decided the first 10 kilometers of the week. So there's a lot of debate going around. I talked to quite a few people. Some people think the race is just fine how it is. Um, you know, it's a cloverleaf kind of design. There's some talk of taking it to this place called Kangaroo Island, which is off the coast here, one of the big tourist attractions of South Australia. A lot of wildlife out there. They're trying to promote that as a tourist destination. So there's some talk of taking the race out there for a couple of days. You know, that kind of just takes away from the charm of this Tour Down Under where all the teams stay in the same hotel every night. They do their race. It's a cloverleaf. And, you know, it's a very pleasant experience. So maybe sometimes change isn't always for the best. I mean, I don't know. I guess that's fair. I think it would be difficult. I hear you. Difficult to haul TT bikes halfway across the world. Uh, it would be hard to race that far in the heat. I'm still, I gotta, I just gotta figure there's something creative they can do to try and mix it up. I don't know. Maybe it's an uphill time trial. Maybe it's a uh, Eddie Merck style time trial where they're just racing on road bikes. Maybe it's a stage that, okay, lacks the distance, but has more hills to wear people out and make it a little more dynamic. Like, I don't care the, the fact that it's Mitchelton Scott versus um, Richie Port year after year. I just wish that it was just more dynamic than like he who is strongest on Old Willunga. Basically, like, is Richie Port going to get a big enough gap on old Wollonga to who, whichever Mitchelton Scott guy is chasing him to like win the overall, or is the Mitchelton Scott guy going to have enough time bonuses to like keep it in hand? I just feel like that year in year out type of battle is just something we've seen just again and again. And I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just ready for something new. Well, Fred, I will say after those comments, you probably will not be welcome uh, in Australia. I would check your passport, change your name when you kind of try to come down here on vacation someday because, man, that's, gonna, that's not going to make anybody happy down here on the race. Your hot take there, my friend. <clears throat> but, but having said that, um, the race actually has changed quite a bit over the years. I mean, in the first edition, I think it was only five stages, and they were almost all sprints. We used to have guys like Andre Greipel winning the race. And since it has become a World Tour race, I think it was 2009, you know, they've kind of ramped up the difficulty. Um, they changed the Wollonga. The Wollonga used to be on a Saturday. They used to have a, a kind of really just a crit on the Sunday to end the race. So they, they've added, they made the race a little bit harder. They've added a, a little bit of a kind of classic style stage. They've added uh, Paracom, which is like an uphill finish, and then they've added two passages on Wulunga and made that the final day. So they have tweaked it out. Uh, you know, personally, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm a defender of the Tour Down Under model. Um, but yeah, I mean, they could tweak it out a little bit, but I think sometimes if you change things too much, you might ruin, ruin the cake. So uh, in general, this is, this is an exemplary race. 
Uh, I think other races can learn a lot from this race. Um, but yeah, I mean, Stuart O'Grady takes over as race director next year, uh, taking over for Mike Turter, the director of the race. So you know, there's definitely rumors going around, and that's kind of why we put that story out there because you can we can definitely expect some something different next year. Uh, okay. Well, I guess we're going to have to keep our eyes on that. So, look, this wasn't the only big uh, story that came out of Tour Down Under. Our man, uh, David Lapartien, the UCA president, was down there. And it sounds like you journalists did a great job of cornering Lapartien and peppering him with questions about all sorts of different topics under the sun. Uh, you guys asked him about gravel racing, which I loved which we're going to get to later. But um, it sounds like you all uh, asked Lapartien about Bjarne Reese and his place in the sport. Uh, readers may have seen that Bjarne Reese is now the manager of Team NTT and sounds like he has uh, pretty much overall control over that team, uh, which ruffled some bike fans, uh, their feathers, because obviously of Reese's past involvement with doping. Um, set the scene for me, Hoodie. I mean, how did you guys uh, corner Lapartien? Who asked him about the Reese question, and what did he have to say? Yeah, uh, first off, yeah, Lapartien, I think he was back at the race. Uh, I think he was here two years ago. So he, he says he tries to come down here every couple of years. There's a big meeting with the kind of uh, regional uh, cycling federations with New Zealand and some of the Oceana groups. Um, you know, the the, the, the big 30,000-foot view of Lapartien you know, he, he comes away as, as a very sharp guy. He's definitely uh, familiar with all of the issues. Uh, he has a lot of the uh, information right at his fingertips. You know, no cue cards, no platitudes. You know, he dives right into the details. You know, you try to hit him. You try to corner him on a question about the teams or you ask him about Reese or you ask him about gravel. You ask him about, you know, all these other things came up with governance and all these all these technical questions. And he really has command of, of the issues. I think he is probably the most powerful and will be most effective UCI president since High uh, Verbruggen, without a doubt. I mean, he already is. He's already established himself quite as a, as a player. Uh, I see him really uh, quite astute at the political game. You know, you can just see the way he moves. He's moving these pieces behind the scenes so that when he gets to any sort of uh, decision that he has to make uh, – he has the support for that decision already from the institutions, be it WADA, IOC, the Teams Association, the Race Associations. So he is, he is very much a command of the facts, or at least his view of the facts. And in fact, even Lapartienne's brought up fake news. You know, we asked him, it's like, oh, what's the perception that you are kind of in the back pocket of, uh, of the ACO and the Tour de France organization? And then he goes, oh, but that is fake news. <laughs> so... Uh, that's that's kind of the big take on Lapartien. He was definitely a, a a force to contend with. I mean, there's the big issues with this kind of ongoing, never-ending conflict between the teams and the UCI and governance issues about how elite men's road racing should be organized. And they have a very formidable opponent in Lapartien. I'll just put it that way. So going back to Reese, um, yeah, I mean, the Reese uh, returned to the peloton. He made his uh, first appearance here at this race at the Tour Down Under. Um, we eventually, there was about five of us sat down with Reese, had about an hour-long interview with him, quite interesting chat with Mr. Reese. And uh, and then La Partiente, you know, it's like, does this send the wrong signals? Is this good for cycling, et cetera, et cetera? And La Partiente was very direct and saying there's nothing in the UCI rulebook that prevents us from preventing someone like Bionni Reese from returning to the sport. You know, they did make that change in the rulebook, any sort of serious doping infraction from 2011 going forward, 
you know, you won't be licensed by the UCI. They have that ability to not license you. Of course, you need a license issued by the UCI to be a team manager, to be a writer, to be an agent, to be a sport director, et cetera. So from 2011 going forward, forward, anybody that get, gets done in by pretty hard doping allegations, uh, infractions, you cannot work in going forward. So many people see that as a positive step. But of course, you can't retroactively apply that to people from the 90s and earlier than 2011. So, La powerless to stop Reese from coming back. Uh, I'm glad you guys asked him about Bjarne Reese. I mean, it's a hot button topic, but really, yeah, there's not much a whole, there's not a whole lot he can do. Um, the rules say this, and Reese has served his time, and I guess he's legally allowed to come back to the sport. So, I don't know. We're just going to have to keep our eyes on him. But I, Hoodie, I love that you guys asked David Lepartien about gravel. And uh, I love the fact that he seems to be reading and um, he seems to be cognizant of what's going on in North American gravel scene. Um, he eventually said that UCI has its eyes on gravel and is, you know, may launch its own gravel world championships at some point in the near future, which is really interesting. But again, set the scene for me. How did you guys get um, old David Lapartient to talk about the growing gravel scene? Yeah, I mean, he came in, There were, I think there were probably about uh, eight or 10 journos in there. He came in and just basically said, uh, he had, had some brief comment about the, why he's done in Australia. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and he, he said, well, let's just open up the table, you know, what do you all want to talk about? So, I just shot my hand up and said, oh, Mr. Lepartient, gravel's booming, the scene's taking off, um, what's the interest of the UCI? So he was, um, you know, he basically said the UCI have already had two important meetings over the last, uh, just over the last month or so. You know, he had met with the uh, organizer of the Eroica uh, Grand Fondo race that's being, that event that's, that's held in on the Tuscan White Roads. Uh, there's talk about expanding that series quite dramatically very soon. And then he, they also had an in-house meeting uh, just within the UCI, uh, some heavy hitters within the UCI, looking at gravel, what's going on, what kind of things perhaps the UCI could bring to the table. Is there room for creating a new sanctioned discipline? I mean, right now, the UCI has its fingers in just about every pie, anything involving uh, two wheels. Uh, another thing that came out of uh, this meeting, you know, they're very much committed to e-bikes. Uh, La Partiente is the designated point man by the use IOC to investigate the possibility of even creating an e-sports category in the Olympics. So there's a lot of things moving. And La Partiente said, you know, the UCI has to be uh, nimble on its feet. You know, he said a lot of times these institutions are like big boats. They take a long time to change direction. And he says they're just trying to be proactive, trying to get ahead of some of these trends rather than be on the back foot. I mean, obviously, the, the gravel boat has left the docks a long time ago. And now that it's kind of you know, gaining, gaining a lot more kind of, uh, you know, uh, kind of gravatas that, you know, everyone thinks the UCI is kind of coming late to the party. And, you know, you just kind of wonder, I mean, the, the takeaway there for me was like, you know, here is almost a very similar situation to what happened in mountain biking, you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s, when the, the scene just grew up, you know, by itself, blossomed with all these grassroots events. And then the big bad UCI came in, shut down. There was that uh, IMBA series, shut that down, took over the World Cup. And but the big thing that <clears throat> was always the, the the deal closer with the mountain bike, of course, was that it became 
an Olympic sport. So then the UCI said, well, if you want to race in the Olympics, you have to race under UCI rules. You have to have a license. You have to have doping controls, blah, blah, blah. And right now, gravel is just out there on its own. You know, what is gravel? Gravel could be a million different things anyway. So it's it's not uh, – you know, it's certainly not Olympic discipline. It's not a UCI discipline category yet. Uh, a lot of interest on the UCI side, but a lot of kind of natural hesitancy about them coming into the sport. Yeah, I understand why. Stay out of gravel, UCI. No, I, look, um, I think that the gravel athletes and gravel race promoters, what one of the things that they like about this scene is that it is free from rules and that it is free from regulations. When you talk about getting involved in an official way with USA Cycling or UCI, you start talking about things like commissaires and marshals and courses that have to fit specific uh, cookie cutter dimensions. And um, you start talking about, you know, rules that can erode the carefree grassroots and somewhat creative dynamic feeling of gravel. Um, We have a piece coming out in the March April issue of Velo News all about how gravel has allowed these um, event promoters to be very creative with everything they offer from, you know, food at the feed zone to uh, finish your gifts to just course formats. And, and you know, we've talked about this before with Betsy Welch, you know, having a gravel race that goes through someone's living room. And uh, if the UCI gets involved with that, that's not going to happen. Now, look, if the UCI launches its own Gravel World Championships, that's something else entirely. Um, that's one event, and that is something that's you know trying to cash in on the popularity. Um, would athletes go to it? You know, I think the gravel athletes who I talk to are interested in media exposure and getting exposure for their sponsors and in mixing it up with people um, at events. So I bet there would be. Um, some of the riders that would go participate in it, especially if there was a big media footprint, especially if like European media, Eurosport, somebody like that was going to be there. I could see the gravel tribe um, going and dipping their foot into UCI gravel. But do I see it growing into, you know, some global series sanctioned by the UCI um, with, you know, official formats and rules? I, you know, I don't think that, The UCI launching a gravel world championships is going to kill gravel the way that we've uh, been seeing some people online uh, commenting about it. Um, Anyway, Andrew Hood, I appreciate you chiming in from Australia. We are going to let you get back to your afternoon or morning or middle of the night, whatever time it may be there in Australia. I have no idea. And we're going to check in with Larry Warbass and James Pickley. So for Andrew Hood, it's Fred Dreyer. Thanks for tuning into the Velnews podcast. We will talk to you next week. Here we are with James McCauley, start of uh, the last stage of the Tour Down Under. Your first World Tour race, man. How, how's it feel? How's it been for you so far? I mean, the, the crowds have been amazing here at the Santos Tour Down Under. And, um, you know, the racing has been has been fast and furious. Um, it's been a learning experience for sure in terms of uh, peloton dynamics and fighting for position and in key points and, and stuff like that. But the team has been really helpful. 
and I've been learning from them, learning from guys like Andre Greipel and Alex Dowsett too, like ultra experienced guys. Uh, the team's been helping me a lot with the with moving around and sort of teaching me the ways of the European Peloton. Hopefully today will be a, a better opportunity to showcase uh, the actual legs because the running looks to be a little bit easier, and I'll have uh, I'll have the guys trying to get me in a good position at the right time. But it's been it's been an awesome experience so far. Good. I mean, it's probably for you a lot of new. It's a new team. The team's new to the World Tour. It's your first time, well, not quite Europe, is it? It's uh, Australia. So it's probably a nice transitional kind of race to kind of get a first taste. Yeah, exactly. Every, uh, essentially, everything is new for me here. The team's new on the World Tour, like you said. It's my first time at this race. It's my first time ever in a World Tour stage race. So uh, the learning process has been definitely a, it's been a steep learning curve, but hopefully this will be a perfect uh, introduction for you know the bigger races to come in, in Europe. In Is it kind of a little bit of an awe to see guys like, well, your teammate Greg also, that's, a, you know, to ride up against guys like Richie Port? What's that like? Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because, like, uh, I think for a couple days I was still in awe, you know, like, oh, Andre Greipel is, like, towing me around the, the bunch or, like, I'm... You know, I have to help him across the line, like like yesterday. But uh, but that's that's faded, you know, because everyone here has two legs and two lungs, just like I do, and has gotten here through hard work, just like me. So I mean, that uh, at the end of the day, we're all just guys racing our bikes to the same finish line. What's the mood like on the team? I know it's uh, step up for this team and the World Tour this year as well. Everyone's probably pretty jazzed up to be here. The team the team is awesome. Honestly, the they've been so supportive of me, and the team atmosphere is so great. Uh, it's we already have like a family feeling. You know, despite being, this being our first actual race together, we're working super well as a team, riding super well as a team. I really think this is going to be a great season, uh, just because of the staff and the uh, the ambiance and the riders and everything. It's it's been it's it's already been a special year, and it will continue to be for sure. I mean, last year you had a great season racing in the North American circuit. How how did that deal come about? Excuse me, I'm a, yeah. <laughs> I'm a little frog in my throat the air conditioning. How did that deal come about for you to get in contact with Israel Cycling Academy? So. I'd actually been in contact with the team uh, for a little while because they have a uh, Canadian Montreal connection in their performance director, whose name is Paolo Saldana. Uh, so I'd known him for a while, and he was obviously watching my results and keeping track of my my fitness and all sorts of things. And and finally, last year, even before the Tour of Utah, um, I had sort of agreed to come on board with the team. And then obviously after Utah and and then with the buying of Katusha and everything, it just ended up all, all the things fell into place to you know to be able to come here and start at the Jordan Under, which is pretty cool. Um, and I really think, looking back, I, I got very lucky in, in finding this team and in finding the, the best environment possible for me. I really do think this is this is the best team for me right now. And um, I'm, I'm having a great time, and I can't wait to, for the, the season. You know? Are you guys staying for Cadell's race next weekend, or you head back to Europe? We're staying for Cadell, Torque, and also for Harold Suntour. So we'll be here for uh, almost a month total. Great way to kick off the season, get some good training uh, in the heat. It's supposed to be real hot next week, uh, which I'm looking forward to. But for sure, it'll be a great way to start the season, make some, uh, you know, forge some bonds with some teammates, and uh, it'll for sure come in handy over the rest of the year. Some bad luck with Ben Herman crashing out this weekend. Yeah, he was my roommate, and uh, he had a really tough time that night. I mean, his he flew back to Munich, and he's going to have surgery tomorrow, uh, but his shoulder's in, like, pieces. Uh, so he, he needs to see a specialist in Germany to for the surgery um, but he's been I've been messaging with him and he's been super supportive and, and like a really mentor figure for me you know telling me uh, to be patient with this and you know telling me that I have good legs you know I can be up there and 
not to worry and like he's he's been a really good teammate already um, and obviously I, I i wish him the best and i can't wait to get racing with him again he should uh we all have faith that he'll make a good comeback you know that he'll, he'll come back stronger than ever so for later on this uh, racing block, maybe the Sun Tour, you might have a chance to try to test your legs someday? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think this, certainly racing at the World Tour level wasn't unknown for me in terms of, uh, you know, how my fitness stacks up. But uh, I think I have some pretty good form for, for January. Um, I have some bigger targets later in the year, so it'll, for sure it'll be another milestone uh, race, the Hero Central will. But not... First priority for sure here is just learning, uh, getting comfortable with the peloton, just sharpening up my my skills so that I can be a good teammate and uh, and one day a good leader. What's the uh, rest of the season look like once you get back? You said you're gonna be based out of Girona for the spring. Yeah, based out of Girona for the spring. I'll do a couple uh, Spanish stage races, a couple of the um, you know the, the hillier stage races, and then hopefully start at the Giro. That'll be my first Grand Tour start. So. Uh, of course, looking forward to that. Really, really looking forward to see how the body handles the Grand Tour and, and, and how I get through it. And uh, yeah, I really can't wait to get stuck into the season. I'm balancing a little bit of being in awe of being going to go the Giro, but you got a job to Yeah, of course. I, I, throughout my whole second career, I've always been very short-term goals focused you know so so first we got the longest stage and then then we'll worry about training to be in a good shape for you know the next races and Harold Centaur and, and when you sort of break it up like that it's you're less in awe of you know what's the coming two three months because you just have short-term goals that you you tick off and then you know one day you're just at the Giro. What do you think when you see the Giro route this year it looks pretty hard a lot of big bounces yeah that last week is like bananas I mean there's so many hard days in a row um, but if this week has done anything for me it's giving me the confidence that uh, if I can get my my skills down if I can if I can be more comfortable in the peloton I think the legs will be there I don't, I don't think I have to worry about my fitness I think that in that respect I'll be fine uh, it's just more getting used to the, the racing what's that like in the bunch compared to racing in North America they say peloton's bigger faster than Archie Bargy yeah exactly it's just it's just everything is taken up a notch or two I mean uh, the guys are better the field is deeper everyone fights more uh, everyone's prepared everyone's professional so like finding those little gains you know are tougher and tougher and you can't just make up for it with your strength because I mean everyone's strong here so so that that game part of cycling is what I really need to work on and and once I do once I figure that out I think uh, I think things will will go a lot smoother a lot easier what are your kind of top priorities this season to take out of it <clears throat> by finding your place in the peloton and maybe trying to get a result during the year I think a little bit of both I think the, the first one has to come before the second one I think I need to earn some respect in this in this peloton which is totally normal uh, I think you need to get comfortable I think you need to learn you know the the nuances of of this peloton and learn where to be and when to be and how to be there and uh, and when when I figure that out I think a result will be possible thank you Here with Larry Warbase, uh, hanging out here on the beach and uh, two down under. Uh, what's this race like compared to other races on the calendar? It seems like it's a little more laid back. Well, I would say the general ambiance around the race is laid back. It's really nice uh, being here in Australia, warm weather. But uh, I wouldn't say during the race it's so laid back. So it's been pretty stressful the last few days. Uh, a lot of crashes. So, you know, I think yesterday there was probably at least six crashes. So, you know, I don't know why, but... 
but I mean some of the other guys are telling me it's more nervous this year than it's been in past years so I think it's just every year you know cycling it's like there's more on the line more stress and uh, so yeah but the race is awesome ambiance is good but yeah during the rest is still stressful so that those old days of easing into the season, those are long gone. Yeah, they don't really uh, exist anymore, I don't think. So that's a bit sad, but uh, but it's a nice race. So. so you said that you guys came down here, well, you came down about a week early before the rest of the team. You've been training around here. I mean, is it is it just, just a nice way to start the season? It's good weather, good roads. You know, you're not in Europe freezing your butt off. Exactly, yeah. I mean, uh, it's been pretty nice. Uh, so I got here a week before the team, and the team got here at least, yeah, maybe like nine days before the race. So I've been here quite a while. And actually, like, Adelaide is an amazing place to ride a bike. So I stayed, like, just on the edge of the city. And, uh, yeah, it's sweet. It only takes about ten minutes to get onto, like, the good roads. And and uh, really good training. So, so, yeah, it's been a really nice uh, nice block down here in some decent weather. Not as hot as past years, but uh, it's still been great. Oh, man. He just uh, shaped off his chops there last night. Uh, Docker, yeah. Oh, yeah, crazy. Uh, actually, we saw them. Uh, so it was Lachlan and Mitch Docker. Yeah, they, they raised money for charity. And when they came in, everyone started cheering. So I thought it was someone's birthday. And I saw these guys, and I was like, oh, it must be like the, the Swanyers bringing like the birthday cake. And then I realized it was Lachlan and Mitch, and I was like, wow, you know, they don't look like the same guys anymore. But it's cool. Uh, a lot of respect for them. Yeah, definitely. Now, what's the, what's the, you've been riding with uh, Roman. So this year he's kind of doing a little bit different uh, schedule. What's his mood and his kind of approach to the season? Yeah, I mean, uh, for him, you know, he's full on for the Giro, so he's been super happy to be here in Australia, done some really good training, been training pretty hard. Um, and yeah, I think he's in really good shape. Unfortunately, uh, yeah, we had a few mishaps the other day uh, up to Sterling. Um, so, you know, he got tangled with some guys and yeah, that was a, a big mistake on our part. Uh, so that, that was a bit disappointing. Um, but yeah, so we're just kind of trying to like get the flow of things uh, with the team and him and, you know, trying to do our best to set him up. And, you know, I think he has the legs to either win a stage or get a great result. So we'll try again tomorrow on Wollonga. Are you guys staying for the kid out race? Does that help us do everything? So our team is, but Roman, uh, he's going back home. So, uh, so yeah, he, he's been down here since just after Christmas. So he'll be going back because um, he's been here probably almost a month already. And then the rest of us go on for Cadals, so good and for you going back to Europe what's your uh, spring calendar look like yeah I do UAE and then Strada Bianche I have a bit of a break before doing Pei Vasco uh, the Ardennes and then hopefully the Giro right on so you've uh, obviously fit in well with this team. I remember last year you were telling us that you took those intense uh, French lessons. How did that go for you? Yeah, uh, it's been going pretty well. So it was pretty funny. I was riding next to another guy in the bunch yesterday, and he heard me speaking French, and he was really surprised. So, uh, so yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it was, it was a bit hard to start last year uh, getting adjusted with the French and everything like that. But now I'm... Uh, almost fluent so I'm, I'm pretty close close to it so yeah now it's way way easier and uh, I feel like I've really started to find my place with the team and that's been nice I mean is there anything that you've noticed in terms of just the cultural differences I mean I, I think now at the top level all the teams are professional that old school way of doing things is probably over but what's the French kind of uh, feel of the team that might be different from other teams you've been on um, yeah I would say it's maybe a bit more familial because like the thing is uh, in like 
French organizations and stuff, there's not really a ton of change. So, you know, a lot of the staff's been here for 20 years or something. So, you know, everyone knows each other really, really well. There's not a whole lot of turnover. And so, you know, I think that can make for a more like a close-knit unit. Um, and so, so, yeah, it's, it's a little bit different, um, but it's cool. Uh, so, so, yeah, it uh, took me a little bit to get used to at the start, but, but now I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's a great thing about cycling, right? International, you get to learn new languages, uh, travel all over the world, you're racing in the Emirates, you're racing in Australia, and that's it, right? Yeah, I think, you know, it's like, I'm really glad that I was able to learn French because we have such a big opportunity in cycling to be exposed to all these different cultures where like, you know, if we're back in the US, we don't really have the same opportunity for true integration like this. Um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty sweet. I'm glad that, you know, whenever uh, I end my career, I'll at least be able to have gained some really valuable life skills like uh, becoming fluent in uh, another language. And, um, you know, I think it'll serve me well in the future. And it's just also a nice skill to have, so. Oh, for sure. That's one thing I've heard people say about uh, everyone living in Girona in, you know, in Spain there. It's kind of like a, this community so many Anglos that no one even really speaks Spanish or even Catalan. Right. They're in this little bubble. So it's good for you to uh, really integrate and learn Ab- that language. Yeah? Absolutely. And living in Nice, it's made my life a bit easier too. So <laughs> No choice there, right? Yeah. Uh, well, it's pretty touristy. So like, you know, the fact that I've learned French has really helped me because it was a bit too easy before to not speak French. So I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad I do now. Is, are the uh, Olympics on the radar for you at all? Or is that just kind of... Uh, I mean, it's a dream, but yeah, we have two spots, so uh, you know, I'm not gonna hold my breath. Uh, you know, never say never. If you have like the season of a lifetime, anything's possible because you know we don't have, I guess, uh, the big, big, big favorites like maybe we did in the past. Uh, but but yeah, you never know. I'd love to. It'd be a dream, but uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna hold my breath. Enjoy the rest of Australia. Now, what's it like? I mean, racing here with these guys. I mean, the Aussie riders. I can imagine this is like, you know, obviously one of their top goals. Is there a difference in the speed or in the strength of the peloton? You notice between the Aussie guys and the rest of the peloton? Uh, no, I wouldn't say so. I, I actually, before I had thought that, but I don't know, maybe I'm just in better shape this year. So uh, I think anytime you go to a World Tour race, it's really fast. So uh, again, it's fast here, but uh, I feel quite well prepared. So it hasn't been uh, too challenging. So, so yeah, I would say nowadays it's like everyone does what it, what it takes to be ready for the first race in January. And uh, so there's a lot less difference in level than uh, I think there used to be. Thanks, Larry. Cool, yeah. Thank you.